about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. So I'll give you a minute to look that up if you want to follow along. So Psalm 145, a psalm of praise of David. And in Hebrew, an acrostic poem. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom. They speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all he does, in all his ways, and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears the cry, he hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Hi everyone, my name's Gabby and I'll be reading the second reading, which is John chapter 17, verses 1 to 10. John chapter 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those who have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. 
Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. My name is Matt, one of the pastors here. If you're new in church today, welcome. It's fantastic to have you with us as we start this new sermon series. Welcome to you if you're online and you're in some exotic location because it is the long weekend. Oh, we're jealous of you, but great to be in church with you also. We are thinking about overflow, uh, as Mike has already explained. The, the big-hearted, joyful, generous, abundant life that God summons his people to. We as Christians are not just summoned to a restrictive or depressive life, but one that is so full of the good things of God that they cannot help but overflow from us. I don't know what you think of when you think of overflow. Maybe you think of huge waterfalls. Maybe you just think of uh, you know, containers full of yummy things that can't fit the yummy things that are trying to be fitted in. You know, uh, Or overflowing coffee, don't know what coffee's like, but here's overflowing coffee, more coffee than you could imagine, more waterfalls, and my personal overflow issue, books. Overflow is when you have so much of potentially a good thing that you can't contain it. There's too much. It just flows out and over and over, like a good milkshake. This is the life we're summoned to as God's people. To be so full of the good things that he gives that we can't contain it. That it flows out in our reckless, generous life. That's what we're contemplating together in the next month or so. We're going to do it in five parts. Uh, And we're going to start with God, as Mark's already said. Uh, Tonight we're going to think about how God in himself overflows as Father, Son, and Spirit in a remarkable way. And then next we're going to think about his abundant relation to us as a creator, how he gives us. He's not stingy, but gives us more than enough of what we need. Then we're going to think about our hearts and how through the grace of our Lord Jesus, our hearts can overflow and therefore our lives can overflow and we can become overflowing givers with the good provisions that God has given to us. But tonight we're talking about our God. We're fixing our eyes up on him Because the Christian God, Father, Son, and Spirit share this life of abundance that overflows. Now, the God of Christianity is unlike any other God. In the life he shares in himself, he is full of such good, it just overflows. Let's walk through that together. We're going to walk through Psalm 145 and land in John 17. Turn up Psalm 145 for me. We've got four things for you tonight about how God overflows. And the first is this, that the depth of God's glory cannot be fathomed. Psalm 145, how look. The psalmist in Psalm 145 is just overflowing with adoration for his God. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I'll praise your name forever. Every day I will praise you and extol you. And great is the Lord and most 
worthy of praise. And through the whole psalm, he's just overflowing really with language and pictures and words and verbs and adjectives, just trying to get a handle on the God he's experienced. It's a beautiful poem, just trying to trace around this God who he's come into contact with. But he confesses in verse 3 that his task is impossible. What does he say? His greatness, God's greatness, God's glory, no one can fathom. As he then goes on to enumerate all the different characteristics of God, he says that, you know, I could go on forever. I could use every word I know. I could give every picture I could give. I could speak unendingly. But the mind I have could not get a handle on the greatness of God. And the tongue in my mouth could not fully announce his glory and goodness and mercy and power. What is your vision of God like? Is it small or is it massive like the psalmist? The psalmist sees in God an abundant depth beyond comprehension. That God, the eternal King, whose kingdom will have no end, whose dominion will last forever, cannot be understood fully. There's a big movement in our culture at the moment, particularly in these tricky times, that we really, as human creatures, need something big for our hearts to have in view to cope. Uh, Julia Baird has been talking a lot about this. Apparently, Mike quoted Julia Baird last week as well. I didn't know. I'm sorry. Um, but she, she, uh, her Twitter feed's fantastic. She keeps filling it with little octopus because she's obsessed with octopus at the moment. And she keeps uh, talking about the, the, these, these little extraordinary moments in life that seem to just overtake us and change us. When we come into contact with something majestic and big, it kind of stills our anxiety fills us with peace and makes us less self-focused and more able to deal with other people. You know, this happened to me last week as I was uh, taking out the garbage. I was on leave with Cass and I was just taking out the garbage uh, on the south coast and it was freezing a little bit cold that night and I was just trying to get the garbage done and out and back in and all of a sudden I looked up and I remembered that there were stars you know, I live in Newtown, you look up in the sky and you don't see anything. There's nothing in the sky at all except the moon. And I, I just stood there with the garbage in hand, staring up, feeling small. And it is so good to feel small. And it's like, as Julia Baird's been thinking and contemplating about, it's almost like we need these moments and creation gives us these moments of feeling small and there's something good about it. We need a big, abundant, beautiful God in view. We were made for it. For a God who is bigger than our thinking, bigger than our minds, more beautiful than our tongues can explain. The glory of our God cannot be fathomed, is the first thing we see in Psalm 145. But the second thing we see is that God is constantly, freely, and passionately giving himself. These are the words of 
a commentator I read on this passage that I just loved. Because as the psalmist then walks through the rest of the psalm, he says, you know, if you, if you were to, to hold up the acts of God and the things you see him do in history, one by one by one, they would pour forth speech. They speak of his glorious splendor, the power of your awesome works. They celebrate your abundant goodness, verse 7. The Lord is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and rich in love and good to all and compassionate on all and faithful and trustworthy. He upholds all. He fulfills all. He is righteous in all. He is near to all. It's a stunning picture. One by one by one by one. And I love uh, just collecting them together as this God who is constantly and freely and passionately giving himself. The picture of God you get in these verses is of one who is just, who, who can't help himself. He's constantly being good. He's constantly demonstrating his power and glory. He's constantly showing his mercy and withholding his anger. He's constantly supplying creation with all it needs. Notice the repetition of the word all, 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 and every, 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 this all-encompassing, beautiful, stunning God. This is a God whose acts overflow from him, that always he is acting in in goodness and power and glory again and again and again and again and again. It's a beautiful picture of God we get uh, in these verses. And it's amazing, though, because you think, well, do I live in this world? Do I live in this world with this God? Do I live in a Psalm 145 world that's dripping with the good gifts and acts and glory of God? You know, there's a lot of times this year where I feel like I haven't been. Like I've been living in a world where there's never enough where there isn't enough good, where there is too much violence, where there is too, much, too many wrong things and bad things happening, where it doesn't feel like there's confident places and trustworthy places to stand. You know, Psalm 145 mentions nothing of the pain of life because it is a radical affirmation of the God who runs the world And who is who he is despite the way the world is. Psalm 145 is inviting us to live in with a vision of the world, with a God at the center who is abundant in glory, never ending in his righteous, glorious, merciful, powerful, and truthful acts. God is constantly glorious and never ending, and you cannot fathom him. God is constantly, freely, and passionately giving himself to his people. But you might think and look at this Psalm 145 and think, well, is this really true? Is this really the God of the universe? Could God always be like that? Will God always be abundant in goodness? Will he always be truthful and righteous? How do we know? What if the well will run dry? What if God changes? Is he as undependable as everything else in life? And this is where we need to head to 
Actually, John 17, I'd love to spend more time in Psalm 145, but jumping to John 17, because in John 17, with the coming of the Lord Jesus, we get a fuller insight into the unfathomable, abundant glory of God. An insight that we don't get without the Lord Jesus. An insight into the truth of who God is and what he is like. And in John 17, you kind of get to be inside Donald Trump's office or inside the, you know, having tea with the queen. And you get to listen into what is happening at the center of power, at the center of all the, the, what makes everything tick. In John 17, you see the son talking to the father. You get to see inside God and see what is in God. What is he full of? What is this unfathomable abundance in him? What do you see? Well, what we see is that the life, it is the life of Father, Son, and Spirit that we see overflowing to us in all these glorious acts, in all the power and righteousness and trustworthiness and promises. It is Father, Son, and Spirit. Have a look at these. I'm not going to go into real depth into all of it. I just want to get you into the rhythm of it. But you see Jesus praying, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. The Father glorifies, the Son magnifies, makes Him great, and the Son magnifies, makes the Father great. And what the Father has granted in verse 2, authority to the Son to give eternal life, and He's given Him some people. And the Son has brought glory to the Father in verse 4. And ask the Father in verse 5 to glorify Him with the glory He had with the Father from before the world began. And then jump down to verse 28. We didn't read it out, but it's so good that we've got to read it out. Where God says, it's not verse 28. I've lost it. Verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. When you're in the room, what do you see? What is in God? What is in this abundant, unfathomable glory of God? In God. A father and a son and a spirit who before the world was created, shared a glory together, who magnified one another, who before the world was created, shared a love for one another, who gave to one another before anything was. You see, that God revealed in Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Spirit is a God of abundant life. Not static, a static monarch, monarch high up in the sky on his own, occasionally good when he feels like it. But a father, a son, and a spirit, constantly loving, giving, glorifying, honoring, full of life. The New Testament describes God a number of, in a number of occasions as blessed, as happy, sufficient, whole, without anything else. You see, this vision of God is nowhere else in any religion, in any place, in any idea. 
You know, this isn't a vision of the world that, where everything is an accident and everything you come comes by chance. And at the end, reality is a bottomless and merciless and loveless. Nor is it a picture of just some person off in the sky, distant and unknown, or of a kind of a substance that binds us together and makes us feel good. At the rock bottom of reality, of this universe, is a father and a son and a spirit overflowing with faithful, passionate love. Everything we have, everything we are, is because of his abundance in himself. And there's something in God that just delights to overflow, to make his love known, to make his glory known, to make his power and mercy known. God overflows. And the most startling thing about that is it actually gives us a reason and a purpose for why we exist. Jesus snuck that in, in verse 3 of that prayer, where he spoke about what eternal life is, about what the life we were made for actually is, about what the promises of God really are for us. What did Jesus say in verse 3 of chapter 17? He said, this is eternal life life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What were you made for? What are you here for? You are here, you are made to see and savor the glory of God revealed in Jesus. That's why you're here. We are made to experience and know the overflowing love and glory of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And that word know, it's not just cognitive, intellectual ideas. It's about fellowship. It's about relationship. It's about coming into contact with the real God and knowing Him. It's an eternal life because when you are with Him, you cannot die. And it's an eternal life because... It's spent constantly knowing a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more of the depth, the unfathomable glory of this God. You were made to see and savor the overflowing love and grace and goodness and power and mercy and glory of God. You see, this is the reason why sunsets make you happy and stars set right your soul. And strange, ordinary things shine with glory. John Calvin, thinking about John 17, you know, the, he said the final goal of the blessed life rests in a knowledge of God, knowing God, Father and Son and Spirit. And lest anyone be excluded from access to such happiness, wherever you cast your eyes, there is no spot in the universe wherein you cannot discern at least some sparks of his glory. You cannot, in one glance, survey this most vast and beautiful system of the universe in its wide expanse without being completely overwhelmed by the boundless force of its brightness. Why do stars settle our souls? Because we were made to know the glory that made them. 
because we were made to have fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit who delighted to make everything around you. Because they all are lit up and dripping with His glory. Because you live in a Psalm 145 world that overflows from the life of Father, Son, and Spirit. And I think there's this dynamic in life where we are called constantly to look up again and again and again and get a deeper and bigger and greater picture of this unfathomable and abundant God. You know, I was thinking about the last time that my friends made me go skiing, which will be the last time that anyone makes me go skiing, because I hate skiing, because I can't, my feet can't fit in the boots properly, and so as, when I'm in the boots, I can't, it's excruciating and painful, and so my friends made me ski, and I was in pain, and my shins were on fire, and I was just on the flats at that point, and they decided that I'd be in less pain if I was at the top of the hill coming down. And so I went up the top of the hill, and I started going down, and what then became like an hour of excruciating pain of me trying to get down this mountain in one piece without killing my friends who made me go up there. And I just was going a few meters and falling, a few meters and falling, and just in constant agony in my deformed legs. And one of my friends, uh, graciously seeing my anger and frustration and pain, uh, took my skis off and took me to the side and laid me on the mountain and said, Matt, just look up for a second. And remember, remember where you are. Look at the sky, snow, these trees. Look at this big, beautiful world. You know, one of those moments in life where the anger dissipates and the frustration dissipates and you find a peace. Because you looked up and you sensed something bigger and your heart was filled with more than you and your life and your things. You know, that's, that's what we're called to in the Christian life in the midst of our frustration and difficulty, to just sit down and remember what, where, look up and remember where you are. All of this is overflow from his abundant grace and goodness and life. Again and again, looking up to more and more and a bigger and bigger vision of God. Marilyn Robinson in Gilead, the character says this, the Lord is most constant and far more extravagant than it seems to imply. Wherever you turn your eyes, the world can shine like transfiguration. You don't have to bring a thing to it except a little willingness to see. Only who could have the courage to see it? I love that because in the end, Marilyn Roman says, our problem is not that the world that God is unable to be seen. The problem is us. And our lack of courage, our cowardice, to want to know the glory of God, to want to see it, to want to taste it. Our courage in our materialistic culture to believe that there is something more behind what appears to be accidental. You know, John Calvin, when he speaks about our relationship to creation, says, you know, you really can't get to a knowledge of the true God through just looking at the stars. Even Jesus Christ, he says himself that it's actually a true knowledge of him that brings eternal life. We cannot grasp the fathomless glory of God without Jesus. And our hearts, which want to blind ourselves and move away from the glory that is dripping around us everywhere, only have access to the glory of God by Jesus. 
Jesus who always enjoyed his Father's love and compassion and mercy, and yet on the cross lost it. That we might have it forever. You see, the fathomless glory of God, the abundant goodness was displayed on the cross. And when, when your heart sees what God has done for you in Jesus, saved you from wrath to give, him, give you glory and eternal life, it's when your heart sees that that you can walk out into the world and you will see his glory everywhere. And friends, all I want to summon you to tonight is just to take a few more steps to know your God better. To actually live on purpose. Your purpose is to know the true God. And Psalm 145 tells us what to do with that. He tells us to lift up the acts of God until they shine with his glory. The acts we see in scripture of what he's done in Jesus. The acts we've seen of faithfulness in our life that we just kind of pass by. All the good things we see in Scripture about our God, we are to lift them up until they pour forth speech about God's glory and goodness. The psalmist calls that meditating, savoring the goodness of God. And the psalmist pours it back in praise. He savors it by speaking it back to God, glorifying Him. That's how we deepen our knowledge of God. Savor His acts. And responding in praise. And bit by bit we grow into that eternal life that God offers us in Christ Jesus. You know, you can't praise at the moment in church. And so praising is a private activity. And I'm loving that. I sing hymns with my daughter as she's going to sleep. It is the best part of my day. Because it is the only part of the day in the darkness where I can savor the acts of God in my own heart. And so, friend, why don't you take up the acts of God in Scripture, the things you've seen of Him in your own life, and savor them and offer them back in praise and watch your knowledge and love of God grow. Our God and everything He gives us and everything we see around us is an overflow of His glory and grace. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we want to confess that we really know nothing, really know nothing of your fathomless glory and goodness. We have tasted but a small portion, and our eyes and our hearts are so blind to the constant and passionate and free and unending and limitless giving of yourself daily. Father, open out the eyes of our heart to see your glory in Jesus and to walk out of here savoring your acts, savoring what you have done in him, savoring what you have done in our lives, turning it back in praise. And we pray that day by day we would grow in our vision of your glory and your goodness. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.